There's nothing quite like the sound of 400 people turning pages at the same time. <laughs> But that's good. It means we're following along. So as was said briefly at the start of Mass, let me just reiterate it because it's important. As we work through Lent in different ways, certainly at each Mass, but each person in their own mind and heart, thinking of this idea, right, out of the Gospel about Lazarus. What are the stones that get in the way of our coming to know the Lord more intimately? What does it mean to turn them away, not just for the sake of doing that personally, but for building up real community? That's the ultimate goal, as the body of Christ. I've shared this before, but maybe you haven't heard it before. When I was growing up, the parish I was in had a huge basement. It was one of these big old churches, a huge basement. And one of the things they ran out of the basement was a 12-step program, one of the many 12-step programs that are out there in the world. This was an AA program. And if you're familiar with those in general, not going to take a lot of time to describe it, but people dealing with addictions of various kinds. And I've often thought that there's no better place to hold a 12-step program than in a church, really. Because if you're familiar with those at all, and I'm sure many of us in this room are, there is something profoundly spiritual about them, even though they're not inherently Christian per se. And it always begins with acknowledging that we're not the ones in control of our lives, of the world at large. But I would argue that even more powerful than acknowledging we're not the ones in control, the power of those programs is that you show up, you let yourself be seen, and you see others. There's something incredibly intimate and profound about standing up in the midst of others who have already self-identified saying, this is where my vulnerability is. This is where my struggle is. This is where I am not free if I just try to deal with this on my own. And there's an extraordinary freedom that comes when someone can walk into that group and say, yes, I'm one of you, and you are mine, and they can say the same. And I just remember as a kid, not that I wasn't always enthralled by the priest, but... Every now and then, I'd excuse myself to go to the bathroom in the basement. That was my excuse. And I'd go down and I'd just kind of eavesdrop on the 12-step meetings, because sometimes they happened at the same time as church. Uh, for the young people here, never leave. <laughs> Stay enthralled by your priest. But it was just so lively. I didn't know what they were talking about. I didn't know what the program was, but it was so lively. There was joy. Sometimes there was shouting, really busy clouds of smoke billowing out of the room. There was just so much humanity there that a little kid I didn't always experience upstairs. But that's what happens when we're willing and able, even reluctantly, right? Not many people walk into those meetings for the first time overjoyed and excited. It can be frightening. It can be humbling. It's almost all of that. And then suddenly, it's not magic, it's not voodoo, but something incredibly powerful begins to take on shape. And so what I'd like to name as a major stone in the gospel we encounter today is the stone of shame. I can't tell you how in my public ministry, as well as in my own family, as well as in my own life, what a powerful motivator shame can be. And I dare say many of us in this room can relate to that. 
And shame can take many shapes and forms, right? So I'm not always talking about some huge debilitating thing. But this side of paradise, we all have things about ourselves, about our relationships, about our marriages, about our families, our parents, our children, our co-workers, our parish. We all have things that we're not proud of, that we're maybe embarrassed by. But the thing about shame is that it always is rooted in vulnerability. And there's nothing inherently wrong about vulnerability. To be human means to be vulnerable. We will all have weaknesses. We will all have failings. We will all have times where we've done things rather than we'd like to have done them. There's nothing bad that brings someone into a 12-step program. The vulnerability. When that becomes shame is when we have this sense of our worthlessness. We're less than we're meant to be. We're unlovable. Nobody wants to be a part of us because of how we think that vulnerability is being perceived, because of how we judge and assess ourselves because of that vulnerability. I would argue that nobody can feel ashamed if they're just all alone on a deserted island. They might feel bad, they might feel guilty, but to feel shame means that you are powerfully aware of how other people perceive you. You are powerfully aware of your fear of how they might perceive you if they only knew this about me. And if we're capable, if we're smart and savvy, a lot of times we can keep that stuff hidden. We're functional, right? Functional addicts, we use that term. But interiorly, and certainly in our spiritual lives, it doesn't matter whether we're functional or not. There's a toxicity there. And so how do you roll away this stone? Well, there's only one way. And until you do it, it's the most frightening way imaginable. And you think, well, there's got to be another way. There's got to be a self-help book I can read that'll sort this one out for you. There's got to be a podcast I can listen to. But the best self-help books and the best podcasts always sooner or later get to the same point. You've got to bring this thing out into the light. Shame thrives on darkness. And so with the man born blind, the assumption is he's shameful from the beginning. This is a world where physical disabilities were the result of moral failings. Who sinned? This guy? And you could get zapped from your parents' sins. But think about the powerful insight there. Think of how shame ripples through generations. I could tell you about things that were seen as shameful in my grandparents' generation that still has ways of manifesting with my siblings and now with their kids. And it's not obvious, oftentimes it's subtle, it's hidden, but it's so powerful and real because those are the family secrets that we just don't talk about in polite company. And so the man born blind, you begin with a concept of shame. And then think of how that plays out. Think about in the exchange, back and forth, and I'm glad we read it this way. Because you had to think, well, what was this person thinking? It's my part, right? Well, what were they saying? What was motivating them? And clearly, the authorities want no business of thinking that perhaps this guy didn't sin. Because that would shame them. That would shame their very identities. These are the guys who explain the law. These are the guys who fit everything in their place. It's like getting up to give a homily and not believing a word that you're saying. If Jesus is right that this guy didn't sin, 
then what does that say about their own very identities? And perhaps were they looking inside of themselves, wondering, you know, where are my sins? This guy's been blind for birth. We can all see it. What am I covering up? What am I preventing the rest of the world from seeing? But I know with brutal honesty, that's my sin. That's my vulnerability. And then the guy himself, right, he adds to it as he kind of challenges them. Well, why don't you ask him yourself? You don't need me to tell you my sin. I don't know that I actually have one that's related to this blindness. Ask him yourself. And how do they respond to that fear that shame might be exposed? It's what we all do with anger, right, with authority. Get this guy out of here. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And isn't that oftentimes our response to shame if somebody gets a little too close? Hey, honey, we got to talk about this. No, we don't. We have ways of preventing other people from going into those shadows. And so if there's just one line you take away, I wouldn't take it from the gospel. I take it from that reading that probably everyone's thinking, well, let's get to the man born blind. Let's get to the good stuff. But this is Paul talking to the Ephesians. And what he says is, you were darkness. That's how that reading begins. Not you were in darkness. You were darkness. That's what shame can do. It becomes our very identity. I'm not the guy who sinned. I am the sin. Paul says, you were darkness, but now you are light. Then he goes on and he talks about light. And he says, whatever is brought into the light becomes visible. That's a few verses on. Yeah, okay, I get that. Bring it into the light and now it can be seen. But he doesn't stop there. Then he says something quite extraordinary. He says, what is brought into the light becomes visible. And then he says, and what becomes visible becomes light itself. So think about that for a minute. That illuminating power of bringing what is shamefully kept in the darkness out into the open. It's not just illuminated, it becomes a source of illumination itself. That's what's going on in the basement of my childhood church. These people are light itself. Because when that person walks in, maybe kicking and screaming, feeling like this shame is the most horrible thing he'd ever want to expose, he walks in the room and all of a sudden he's blasted by all these other people who've brought that same thing into the light. And it has become light itself. And when someone walks into a 12-step program for the first time, they are illuminated. Before they ever read the beautiful words or say prayers, they're illuminated by the very presence of others who could say, this is who I am and there's a beauty there in spite of the choices I might have made. Now, if a basically secular, even if spiritual program, like a 12-step program, has that kind of power to it, that can bring life to a smoke-filled basement of a church where everyone upstairs is saying all the right words and maybe is trying really, really hard to keep whatever their shame is locked up so that it won't be seen because that's not the kind of thing to bring into a church, as absurd as that sounds if we really think about it, then how powerful it can be once we get beyond the church basement and we let go of the structured program but don't let go of the concept. So we might just say for ourselves as a spiritual exercise this week, plug yourself in. 
this is the person born blind. What's their sin? And maybe just paraphrase it. What would they say about you? You are the person who what? And the answer to that is, if you feel a little shame, what has that been? I've been since I was a kid. I was the person thought of like this. I'm the person who, when I look in the mirror, I see this thing that I never want anyone else to see. And then simply ask yourself, what would it mean for me to bring that into the light? Talk about it with a trusted friend. Certainly pray over it, but be intentional. What Jesus does is he forces the encounter. Blind man, whether you like it or not, we're going to engage. And we can play that role with each other. So that at the end of it all, so beautifully he says, that was my former life, and now I see. I lived in the grip of shame, and now I am free.